This podcast was recorded at Life Connection Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more podcasts and information on Life Connection Church, visit lifeconnectionchurch.net. Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter number 7. Now this is our last week in 2013. At 2013 as we study the last part of Romans chapter 7. Then we're going to take some time off and we're going to talk about, we're going to go through the Advent season. You're going to hear a lot more about that as my brother, Pastor Wes, preaches next week. And so I'll tell you what, man, you got to be here for that as he starts the Advent series. Then I'm going to preach and then Josh is going to preach and then, um, and then I'll finish off that series right before Christmas. So we are so thankful for this Advent season. Then we're going to take a couple weeks to do some in-house stuff. And then next year we'll pick up Romans chapter number 8. So make sure you're at Romans chapter number 7. Now, when I preach through, when we preach through the gospel, um, and we go through the centrality of the cross, and the, the work of Jesus, and that we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, that when we preach those kinds of things, here's what you have to understand. It pushes at both those who are religious and those who are rebellious. It pushes at both. That those who sit in a room like this and are rebellious and hear the gospel of grace and that Jesus is calling them to be dependent upon him, when you're rebellious, you only want to be dependent upon yourself. The other side of that is when we hear this gospel, maybe we are living according to laws and we're living according to religion and we're living in this light, it pushes against that also because of the same reason. Religion is just a moral way to rebel. And the reality is, is both sides are trying to live independent of Christ and His Spirit. So what we have been looking at is this. Union with Christ is central to our understanding of salvation. When we talk about salvation, we're not just talking about coming out of sin, although that happens. But the reason it happens is is because we come into union with Christ. What is it that we get when we're saved? Is it that we get deliverance? Is it that we get freedom? Is it that we get joy? Is it what is it that we get? Here's what we get primarily. Jesus. That's what we get. And when we understand what we get and that the prize is Jesus, then we understand what salvation is. We were separated from God because of our sin. We were far from God because of our sin. And when we were saved, we were brought into union with God through Jesus. That's the prize. Freedom, my friends, is not the absence of a master. It's having the right master. What we think is, if I'm free... I'm my own master. But what you have to remember is if you are your own master, you're your own slave. And the reality of that hits when we start to see our own lives enslaved by things we thought we had control of. There's a difference between getting out of a bad relationship and being in a healthy relationship. There's many of us who can look back on our lives And go, man, I was in this bad relationship. I mean, they were so jacked up. 
They were ruining my life. And then all of a sudden, thanks be to God, I'm out of that relationship. And that's your same testimony over and over and over again. (laughs) And the problem with that is when you look at all of those jacked up relationships, there's one common denominator. It's you. And what you have to understand about that is there are many of us who want out of bad things. But we don't know what it looks like to walk in a healthy union with Christ. Now, what we talked about last week is that the law does not make us right before God, nor does it grow us into God. Because there are many people who believe, yes, you are saved by grace. And that we will, we will love that. And we will preach that. And then right after that, we will demolish it by saying, now here's all the things you need to do to keep it. Now we do believe that God loves just as far as forgiveness. And then once He's forgiven us, we need to figure it out. But the reality is, is what Paul's showing us is that the salvation of the gospel, the gospel that is preached, not only preaches a gospel that says, here is what salvation is in coming into union with Christ, but that same spirit that drew you into relationship with God is the same spirit that will grow you and make you more into his image. Now, here's what we have to understand. Because this text is used a lot, It's the most used text, but I also will say there's a lot of debate around it, and there's a lot of controversy that comes around these things. So what we have to do when when the gospel is preached, there's always a question that is answered. Now, I can't go through everything that we talk about. When the gospel is preached by grace alone, through faith alone, we talk about how the law doesn't save, and people really struggle with that. And then once you come to the end of that argument, and people start to, start, start to see that this is what truly a relationship is with Christ, then that question always gets asked. Well, Pastor, and this has been asked in this series multiple times. Pastor, so what are you telling me? Do you not struggle any longer? Do you not struggle with sin anymore? All Christians are asking this question of how do we live the triumphant Christian life? How can we gain victory over sin? They're asking this question in all sincerity because of a lot of different things, but the reality is church has been so formed based upon you people out there and the superstar up here. Yes, you're right. I am a superstar. And I'm up here, and I'm preaching the gospel. And then once I preach that, I leave the room as fast as possible not to mingle with you peons up in here. And then I've got my my entourage around me, and I'm escorted to my BMW, and then I'm off. I drive out of the neighborhood up into the hills, into my mansion, and I spend my life there, and all of those who see me, look at me and say, wow, if I could just be like that, then my life would be victorious. Then my life would be easy. I was talking to my mom this week. She called me from Kuwait and she was messing around with me and she, she said, man, you're turning 36. And she said, I said, yes. And she said, you know what? 
I've always been jealous because your life is so perfect. You have such an easy life and nothing ever happens to you. Everything is so simple. You're never tempted. You never struggle. You never, and I said, you're right, mom, you know. My life is just glorious. But here's the reality. You only believe that at a distance. The reason why that superstar preacher has to stay distant from y'all is so you can believe that he doesn't struggle. So you can believe that there is no sin because what we believe is the reason why that there is this superstar is the only difference is they don't struggle and you do. So what are we trying to obtain? We're not trying to obtain Christ. We're trying to obtain, hear me on this, an easy life. We're trying to obtain the absence of struggle. Because if we were, if we were honest with ourselves, most people in their Christian life do not want a relationship with Christ. They want no sin. And if we were completely honest, if, if Jesus could just conquer sin for us and we could have complete separation in the absence of temptation, then we would really believe that we were something special. Because of using union with Jesus, what is true about Jesus is what is true about me. And the only reason that sin is defeated in my life is not because sin's presence is not there. It's because Jesus defeated sin. Many people look at relationships from a distance and say, man, that marriage is really good, right? And my marriage is really bad. And here, here's what has to happen in order for me to have a good marriage me to be married to someone like that. And here's what begins to understand. Because you're only seeing it from a distance, you start to believe that your struggle and your sin and the battle that is happening in your life is not happening anywhere else. So you can begin to, to look at your life, look at your struggle, and look at it as a curse. Now here's the reality, and I want us to look at this statement before we read this text, and then we're going to stand together. Next slide. Is this. Sanctification is not accomplished through the law, but through dependence upon Jesus. Sanctification is not accomplished through the law, but through dependent upon, uh, dependence on Jesus. And here's what sanctification means. Sanctification is the growing into the image of God. That God has made us right before Him. We're going to talk about that. He is making us right, and He is going to make all things right. That is all the complete dependence. The de complete work of salvation. Maturity doesn't come because we don't have any struggle. Or we don't have the presence of sin always before us. Maturity comes as we are aware of our need of Jesus. 
Now, as Paul's been preaching the gospel, and I want you to stand with me as we read Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. As Paul has been preaching the gospel, questions have been asked question and question and question and you can imagine he's answering all these questions saying well are you saying we don't need the law are you saying this is the law is bad what are you saying and now you can hear him answering this question because Paul is unlike any other preacher right he he knows the grace of God so much that he's not afraid to talk about the struggle let's look at verse 14 Remember, as we read this, this is God's Word. Not mine, this is God's Word. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I, if for, if, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I... Now if I do what I do not... Want It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law in my mind. It makes making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. God, we thank you for this word. Penetrate our hearts this morning. Allow us to hear and understand and let it, let it, let it move us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. All right, we're going to have to move through this quickly, so I need you to listen quickly i'm not going to get into this debate today but basically what has to happen is for us to see that as we look at chapter seven if you go online there's this thing called wordle and you could type in all of or or copy and paste all of chapter seven in to wordle and basically it takes the words that keep popping up over and over again in chapter seven and it makes those bigger and it makes the smaller ones if you look at this one in chapter seven what do you see that is the most dominant law sin commandment law sin commandment now let me contrast this with chapter 8 if you type in chapter 8 and we're going to study that in january what comes up spirit god christ creation so you can see what he's doing here just through a simple online app is what the highlight of chapter 7 is the law what the highlight of chapter 8 is the spirit he's trying to show us that we should not be trusting the law but in chapter 8 he's going to show us what we should be depending on is the spirit 
Now, move to uh, the next slide because here's what I want you to think. I want you to look at. Many people have debated this text. How many of you have heard this text before? A lot of people use this text in their struggle with sin and they use it to say, well, I want to do something and I... I just can't do it, and, and it's because of sin that dwells in it. And they start to feel better because they look at where they're at, and they use it not as Paul uses it, but they use it as justification to keep on sinning. Here's what I want you to understand about this. Inside of a theological debate of this, there's a lot of voices that would say, who is Paul when he's speaking here? And I'm not going to enter into this debate just because I don't know how much it helps but number one, I want you to know many people think, or some people think, that Paul is referring back to the days when he was unsaved, basically saying, here's my testimony. Some people say he's referring back to his younger years as a carnal Christian. And a majority of the people say that he's actually speaking in present tense as a mature Christian, as one who is an apostle, who's teaching, who's preaching, and and making them aware of the present reality of, of the battle with sin. I'm not going to dive into that. There's a lot of good things that could come out of a conversation like that. But here's what I'll tell you what I believe about it after much study. I believe Paul is speaking in present tense because he's wanting to answer the question that many of us have when we look at people on the stage preaching the gospel. The only reason, Paul, that you could preach a gospel like this is because you don't battle with what I battle with. There are many of us who can sit in that place and look up here on this stage and see somebody talking and disconnect yourself from the passage and the only reason why is because you say, they don't understand my struggle. And if they don't understand, then they're not preaching it correctly. But Paul is basically showing them in a present tense way that I know the gospel. The gospel is, is, has brought me into union with Christ. The work of Jesus has brought me into his spirit living within me. And you've got to remember, he's writing this as a whole letter. He's not breaking them up into little chunks. He's leading them to chapter 8. Now, this story happens all the time. People want to know, what does a real, healthy relationship look like? Is a good marriage the absence of struggle? Is a healthy marriage the absence of problems? Is a good, healthy relationship with somebody the absence of struggle and problems? And the reality is, when you really start to dive into it, if we look at what we believe, and we look at our relationships and marriages and covenants, and we look at somebody else's, we look at ours and say, the reason why this is broken and the reason why yours is healthy is because we have problems and you don't. That's the reality. I've, I've done plenty of marital counseling with you all in this room and people beyond it. And I know for a fact that the reason why people think Dana and I have a healthy marriage is because we don't have struggle. All that tells me is this. 
you're not close enough to me. If somebody really, really likes me and thinks that I have no struggle, here's, 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 here's the reality. I just know this. The closer you get, the more you're going to find. Now, we live in a church culture that believes that what we have to do is present a facade of perfection without struggle so that people will be attracted to the gospel. And we have to tell people that if you give your life to Christ, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be like running through an open field barefoot. It's going to be gorgeous. Hair flapping in the wind. Everything's going to be beautiful breeze. It's going to be so easy. It's going to be like a bed of roses for the rest of your life. Look at my life. Look at this smile. Pain, agony, struggle. And all we can do is paint on smiles. And try to use a used carsman sales technique. Hide everything that's broken so that they can be attracted to beauty on the outside one of the biggest things that that we all know is that it's not real it's a facade I, I just wish that people would understand that there are there's much about our brokenness that makes God's grace shine brighter Here's what I want you to understand. It's that many of us have become so, so willing to paint on, paint on religious facades that we can look out and say everybody else is religious and everybody else covers up and everybody else, but here's the reality. You do. We let people know only what we want them to know and here's one big thing that we have to understand. When I enter into people's struggle and I'm trying to walk through it with them, what I hear over and over and over and over again in temptation and sin is this. I just wish I wasn't tempted anymore. I just wish I was beyond this. I've been saved so long, I thought I was over this. I just wish that this wasn't there anymore. I just wish it would go away. Why won't it just go away? Because what we believe about growth in Christ is this, that if it would go away, we would grow. And my question to many of us as we say, I just want this to go away, and I've asked this to many of you and many, and many who have, have walked through these things with is this, why do you want it to go away? Why do you want the temptation to go away? Because I, I don't want to sin anymore. Why do you not want to sin anymore? Because I want to please God. Do you think that you not sinning is what pleases God? Or do you think the work on the cross that Jesus accomplished is what pleases God? Why do you want to go? I, I, just, I just don't want this. Why? Is it because you don't want the struggle and the temptation because you don't want to depend on God's Spirit any longer? And if it was gone, you could do it by yourself? The reality is, there's an American way. And the American way tells you this. 
Preacher, just give me the right formula. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. There's a Christian belief that says everything is supposed to be easy. And you want to know where that Christian belief came from? The culture we live in. Much of Christianity is not formed from Scripture. It's formed from the culture we live in. And people say that this is the American dream and this is the life, this is the good life, this is the easy life, this is the way life is meant to be lived and God's desire must be that also. That life is easy. And so what we want when we sit in this room, much of us is just saying, just tell me what to do so that my life can be easy. Give me a formula. Give me 12 steps. Give me five steps. If you have, I don't have much time. Give me three steps. <laughs> and the reality of that is much of our formulas are made to make people aware of what they need to do without the Holy Spirit. Now listen, there are things that by the Spirit we can do, but I'm going to tell you this. There's no formula. There's no law that can grow you. Number two is more of a charismatic way. And that is, for many of us who came out of charismatic sides, I'm just showing us, we emphasize experience more than formulas. If I could just get the man to, to lay hands on me with some oil, I would be delivered, fully delivered. If I could just be slain or slain in the spirit right there, I would just, I'd be out with the, everything over me. If I could just have that moment in the presence of God, then I could feel the right thing and I would know it's all gone and then I would walk in freedom from there on out until the next time I need that moment. So what do we do? We continue to chase after experience, believing that all of this is just in need of God to do a miracle beyond the cross. And that He would just immediately, that I would get that word or I would have that moment or I would have that experience. So we seek experiences. There's another one that's much like many of us in this room and Hopefully, I'm hitting everybody by all three of these in some way or another. I'm an equal offender. I like to offend people equally. The other way is avoidance. Many of us, if we were, if we were in reality, if we, if we just looked at our lives in reality, could understand that much of what we do is just avoid pain. Because we think if we avoid it, it will eventually go away. We run from it. We run from it. J.I. Packer has this thing that he calls Christian realism. It's the next slide. Christian realism. And basically all that it is is just saying there's some realities to Christianity that we need to wrap our heads around. I'm going to read through these quickly. One is the Christian life is real war. Amen, that's a good word, preacher. It's true. The Christian life is real war. You have to look at Scripture to realize that there is a real battle that's taking place. You can't ignore it. 
Many of us want victory without the battle. Victory in the Christian life is not achieved by your own strength. This also frustrates people. Some people are not afraid of the battle. They just want to be able to use their own strength to fight it. And they're proud enough to believe that they're strong enough to fight that battle. So not only is it frustrating that the Christian life is a war, it's frustrating that you have no strength to fight it. And when we have victories as Christians, we should not think that we figured it out. Many of us finally achieve some level of of victory in our lives, and then we go, Woo! I'm over this. I've defeated this thing. And I'm really, I'm really trucking now. I got this thing figured out. I, I found the right formula. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have reached some level of Christianity where they think they've really figured it out and then months later are saying, Pastor, you don't know, I used to be doing this. I used to be preaching. I used to be saying this. I used to be doing these. You don't know my, I know my life looks like a wreck right now, but I used to be doing these things. I just want to get back to that. And it takes every sort of effort to convince them that what you want to get back to is pride and self-sufficiency. What you want to get back to is independence. You're not going to figure this thing out. The other thing is, we are to stay in the fight and use every weapon that's made available. And those weapons that are made available, hear me on this, because you're going to hear this word over and over again for the last 10 minutes. The weapons that are made available, as we see in Scripture, prayer, study, fellowship, service, sacraments, community, all the things that we talk about and do together, all of these things are meant to lead us to dependence upon Jesus. Many people in their fight start using this battle, start using this scripture like the, 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 the men who tried to cast out the demon, the sons of Sceba, and they start going, in the name of Jesus, and in Paul's name, get away from me. And the reality is because they're using his word to fight the battle, Without union and dependence upon Jesus, they ended up getting their tail whooped and running away naked. One of my favorite stories. Why? Because so many Christians are not interested in being dependent upon Christ and submitted to Him. What they really want is the power of God's Word. They want to stand up and say, "I, re-, you know, one thing that <laughs> early on... <laughs> I, I listen to a lot of Christian hip-hop, and now it's, it's so much different than when it first came out because there was a lot of rappers who were thugs and gangsters, and they came out, and they started writing rap, calling the devil out, like they're saying, clack, 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 I'm going to punk you, and they'll do all this kind of stuff, talking about fighting the devil, calling him out, and saying, is that all you got? And the reality is I'm listening to this stuff going, you guys are you're whack. This is not a game. This is not a gang war where we're calling out the devil because the reality is when we start calling out the devil, you're going to lose every time. 
And what has to be understood about this is nothing, nothing, hear me on this, nothing, nothing about what we have as weapons are meant for us to take it independently and fight the devil. Here's what the reality is. Everything that God gives us as weapon leads us to dependence on the Spirit. Dependence on the Spirit. Nothing, which I hate about the, 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 the movements that we see around us, gives us this, this arrogant authority to stand in the face of the devil and tell him what to do. You have to hear me on this. There is so much, there is so much that comes to humility and dependence on Christ. Complete deliverance is this. Look at what you hear Paul saying. This is a mature man of Christ saying, I know God's grace because I'm aware of continually over and over again of the sin that is continually coming at me. I'm aware of the sin that's in me, not just coming at me. He knew that this sin dwelt within him. And many of you think it's out here, but it's in here. And what Christ has done is, look, we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. This is extremely important, and I want you to hear this. Don't get wrapped up in the, in the joke part. Don't get wrapped up in it. This is what you need to hear today. You have been delivered from the penalty of sin. When God paid through Christ the debt of our sin, Christ paid our debt in full. This is foundational to the understanding. Here's what he did. He didn't remove the presence of sin. He paid the price for sin. And when this is true, nothing you can do can pay back the price that he's already paid. It would be like somebody saying, look, I paid millions of dollars worth of debt and you said, let me pay you back. And you grabbed change and put it in their hands and said, here, let me pay you back. This change where you grab it and say, here, let me pay you back is offensive. You can't pay it back. The reality of you have been delivered causes you to look at, oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised my life up from the dead. Number two is this, you are being delivered from the power of sin. You are delivered, right? Because the penalty of sin has been paid. So where's, where has death, why has it lost its sting? Is it because we don't feel the fear or the presence of death? No, it's because death has lost its sting because Christ is raised from the dead. The penalty has been paid. We get to be in eternal union with Christ. We are being delivered. So our ongoing struggle with the power of sin. Look, there's the penalty of sin, but the power of sin is what we feel. Can you just at least hear this? Although sin is powerful, the law does not have enough power to crush sin. Although sin is powerful, the only thing that can crush sin is the penalty of sin to be paid and, the, and Christ taking on himself the work, the, the penalty of sin so that we could be free. Now hear me on this. And through this, as we look at that, the power of sin, we're being delivered from the power of sin. Why? 
through the same grace of God, that God gave us His Spirit. And now we are walking in His Spirit. And so now as we feel the power of sin and we look at, He has delivered me, He is delivering me. So what do I do? Some people say, well, I've been saved. So why am I still struggling? Here's here's what Paul's showing them. Is yes, you have been saved, but you still need to be saved continually being saved i am saved it's done i am being saved and then here's the last point we will be delivered from the presence of sin and this is what this text is pointing to because all of romans up until this point says the penalty of sin is paid for the power of sin is abolished by the spirit and not by the law and this is what he's pointing to in this text he says what gets me through this struggle is i keep my eyes upon where i'm going this future hope and that future hope is this that there will be a day that there will be complete and full deliverance and Jesus will come and rule and reign and this world would be restored and there will be no more sin no more sin and his people will relate with him without sin and there will be presence the presence of God will rule and reign on this earth and there will be there will be all that we could dream of What is he showing them? He says, oh, who will deliver me from this battle? Who will deliver me from this body of sin? And immediately, immediately, he shows them that what he needs is this. He needs to know this, and this is what he knows. This is why he can talk about it. Here's what he knows. Look at this straight line there. This is us before Christ. And once you hit that mark where all of a sudden you realize there is a God, all of a sudden His glory gets bigger and bigger in our lives. And our depravity or our sin gets worse and worse. (laughs) It's not that it gets worse and worse. It's that we see it for what it is. And as we see it for what it is, it gets bigger and bigger. The darkness of our hearts gets bigger and bigger. And here's the reason why it can get bigger and bigger and darker and darker. Here's the reason why. Because we're not afraid of how dark it can get. Paul starts his ministry by saying, I'm the least of apostles. Later on in his ministry, he says, I'm the least of all saints. And then later on in his ministry, he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. Paul, in his walk with Christ, became more and more aware of how dark he really was. And he only became more and more aware of how dark he really was as God's glory and power and the cross became bigger and bigger. And here's what most people do. They get this revelation of the cross and as their revelation of their sin and darkness grows and God's glory grows, the revelation of the cross stays that small. And so what do they have to do? They have to start filling it with religion. Or they have to start filling it with depression. Trying to make up, yeah, the cross is good, but I need to add the law. Yeah, the cross is good, but I need, I'm just so condemned. But what Paul is showing them is this. The same gospel that saved him and the light came on and brought him out of darkness into the light is the same gospel that every day of his life he needs to go back to this truth that he says at the end of chapter 7. Oh, thanks be 
to God through Jesus our Lord that the gospel, the work of the cross has to go bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in our hearts that instead of us trying to engage in this war in our own strength, instead of us trying to engage in this war by our own flesh and by adding laws, instead of us trying to engage in this war with any other means, Paul says, the law's not going to do it, but I am going to show you in chapter 8, so you better come back next year. Here's what's going to do it. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God and the growing revelation of the cross. Church, why do we preach the gospel every week? Why is it that we talk about the work of Jesus every week? Why is it that we call people to dependence upon the Spirit every week? Because I'm going to tell you this. I need it more today than I needed it the first day that God rescued me. There is no other. Paul says, I don't preach anything else but the cross. I don't preach anything else. That I, I have no other message. And people would be so frustrated with Paul today because they come wanting something more deep and more powerful and more fresh. And the reality is there's nothing more powerful than the renewing presence of God's work, the renewing reality that today I need to hear that Jesus died on the cross. That he rose from the grave and that he's breathed into us his spirit. And what I need today is that. That's why we come to these tables. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. That's why we hear preaching. Because what you need today is to say, God, in the midst of this battle, in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this present body of sin that continues to grow. And many of you go, well, if I could just mature, that sin would go away. If I could just mature. But here's what Paul's showing us. Maturity is not about the absence of of the body of sin. Maturity is about an increasing dependence upon God and His Spirit. Maturity is not about independence. As the band comes, I want you to hear this. Because many of us have been taught in this world, as you grow up, you won't need things. You won't need people. You won't need, you'll be independent. As you grow up, you can do it all on your own. That growth is your ability to do it all by yourself. But what I love about Scripture is it flies in the face of all of that. What the Gospel shows us is as we grow, we become more dependent. We become more in need of the cross, of His Spirit, and of His work in us day in and day out. Let's pray. God, as we hear these truths, there are some in this room who are fighting so many, so many battles internally, externally. And they're believing the lies of their own thought and mind, God, that they, they shouldn't have these. But God, I pray that you would change their hearts and minds, not, not from a removing of all of these things, but God, I pray that you would show them that you are sufficient. That you would show them how much they need you. Instead of avoiding, instead of trying to find a formula, instead of seeking after an experience, God, I pray that they would set their heart and mind upon the work of the cross. They would cry out for your spirit to come and refresh in them. And they would be reminded of how you have paid the debt of sin and how you are giving them the power by the Spirit to overcome sin daily and how you are taking them to a perfect, restored world relationship with you, God. 
We need you, Jesus. That's what we need. We need you. We need you. We set our hearts and minds upon you, God. We want to spend these last 15 minutes just just crying out to you, worshiping you, remembering you. We need you, God. In Jesus' name.